You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. In a series, a Lent series, as we build up to Easter, if you're unfamiliar with Lent, it's a 40-day period that the church enters into to prepare well for Easter, and we're asking some tough questions of God. What do we do when it feels like God is gone, when you feel like He's absent from our lives? We kicked it off last week. We looked at what is, what do we do when it seems like God is silent? Just the silence is deafening from heaven, whether it's our own personal suffering and pain that we're experiencing or another's. We just look at the state of the world and like, God, where are you? And so we're uh, uh, entering into this time, into this uh, season, looking at ways that how do we trust God in those moments, those times of our lives? Maybe you're experiencing it right now where God does seem gone. You know what's one of the worst things in life is to wait. Have you ever looked at these icons on the screen that are going to come now and just like, oh, some of you feel a just bit of sweat of anxiety coming on you right now. Oh my gosh. I hate to wait. I'm not a super patient person. It's become very apparent to me recently that I interrupt a lot. It's kind of excited. I can't wait for someone to finish their sentence and so I'll just interrupt them. Um, ironically, it's something I hate in other people when they interrupt me and yet here I am. Traffic. Oh, don't you just love the 401? Your DVP. But 4 p.m., traffic, it's great. Online shopping, ever had that experience? You've bought something and you're, like, you're just counting down from when it comes and arrives at your doorstep. I don't know if you're like me, I have a car and so sometimes you have to put in gas. A lot of times you have to put in gas. I don't have one of those fancy electric cars yet. Um, but uh, sometimes I will drive up and I will very quickly do some high-level mathematical equations to look at all of the lines and estimate which one is going to be the quickest. And most of the times I'm wrong. And I'm sitting in that line. I'm like, I should have chosen that one. And I just, I hate waiting. Slow doesn't seem to be a good word for us, right? Slow internet, slow service. Slow reply to a text and an email. Do you remember the days where I'll show you? I remember the, I'll show you how old I am a little bit. Actually, Chantal and I started dating in about 2002. And one of the ways, I don't even know why, because text messaging was kind of alive then, but one of the ways that we would communicate is through email. And so we get to know actually through email. And it was kind of a case where you would email someone and then maybe like three, four, five days later, you'd log back in, dial up. And then you'd read it. And if you didn't get an email back, it wasn't like, oh, it's okay. Like, and then maybe the next day they replied. And then you'd have like one or two conversations a week like that. I think like today, if you email someone or someone emails you, the expectation is to get back to them like within that day. Otherwise, what's wrong with you? And so... The obsession with efficiency, the obsession with speed, uh, we really have to wait things. We're privileged to be in the uh, you know, developed part of the world where we really have to wait for things. And so when we do, it is frustrating. When we have to wait, it is very frustrating, especially when we have to wait on God. Um, maybe... Maybe you were waiting on God for something. Maybe you thought you were married by now. Maybe you thought you'd had a family by now. For whatever reason, you can't get pregnant. Maybe you're waiting for the job that really is going to set you up for more financial success, and that hasn't 
materialized. Maybe you're studying and you thought this is the path you wanted, but now you're questioning, is this really the career and path that I wanted? Maybe it's a health situation, a financial breakthrough, whatever it is, there are things in our lives that we're waiting, sometimes waiting on God for. And for some people, it's months, it's years of waiting. So what do we do? We're going to ask the question this morning. What do we do when God seems slow? When God seems slow? And so last week, we began looking at a prophet from 2,600 plus years ago, and the name of Habakkuk. And uh, we entered into his little story, and the times that he was in was dire. Like the nation of Israel was just in a bad spot. They were just turned from God. And he's looking at this, and he's like, God, where are you? Like, this is your people. We're supposed to be a chosen people. And they're like corrupt. They're bad people. <laughs> And he has this interaction with God. In fact, it's a unique book because prophet, the prophets, if you read, it's all about their words to the people in Habakkuk. It's all about his prayer to God. It's a, it's like you get a, you get a glimpse into his quiet time for like a couple of years. And it's, it's, it's raw. And he's going back and forth with God and, and God eventually says, Hey, I'm in control. I'm going to do something. And they go back and forth. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm raising up this empire called the Babylonian Empire. And they're going to take the people captive. And that's actually a good thing. And back is like, how on earth is that a good thing? Why would that be a good thing? And so we come to chapter two. And, um, and this is what he says again. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In other words, he's told Habakkuk what he's going to do. Um, that's something quite nice sometimes when God actually reveals, hey, this is what I'm doing in life. This is what's going about. And say, okay, great. And then the question might be, great, when? And then God gives him his answer, and that line in bold just hit me this week of like, are you kidding me? If it seems slow, wait for it. If it seems slow, of course it seems slow. In this instance, it would take decades for that to materialize. If it seems slow, wait for it. So in contrast to our culture, the pace of the Bible, the pace of God often seems very slow. It does not happen quickly. Think about it. If you, Most of the significant things in the Bible took quite a bit of time to happen. From the promise given to Abraham that he was going to be a chosen people, he was through his offspring would be a chosen people, the nation of Israel would be raised up. It took decades, generations for that to be fulfilled. The Israelites being delivered from the captivity of 400 years. That's another time span that's just... Wow, for, I can't even compute. 400 years they were captive uh, in Egypt. And then God delivers them, miraculously releases them. And they go to the promised land. And it should have been a 10-day journey. 40 years later, they only then enter the promised land. Almost an entire generation wiped out, waiting for that promise to happen. Then at the end of your your Old Testament is a book called Malachi. And between Malachi, it was probably the last recorded prophets of the time, to the New Testament, Matthew, the birth of Jesus, is called the intertestamental time. It's often called the 400 silent years because in 400 years, God didn't raise up another prophet. There was no new revelation that he gave to his people. 400 years, people. Some of us can't even wait four hours. 400 years. But then just at the right time, Jesus is born, but still waited 30 years for his ministry to kick in. 
And then he starts his ministry and waits three years for the climax of what he was ultimately sent to do. And then he has the audacity to say, hey, I'm coming back again soon. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why does God act slowly? Maybe that's a question you have this morning. I think it's a great question. And I think part of entering into this series is to say it's okay to ask tough questions of God. In fact, it's necessary to ask tough questions of God. Otherwise, your faith will be a simplistic faith. And a simplistic faith is of no use in a very complex world. But I encourage you that our faith is not simplistic. It is robust. It is complex. It is comprehensive. It can stand the weight of whatever this world can throw at it. It has, it will, and it is able to do that for us even today. But why does God act slowly? Why does it feel like God is acting so slowly on our behalf? Well, one of the things we have to acknowledge is time. Time is a very interesting thing. Uh, I don't know if it's a thing, but I'll just use it as a thing. Time is constant. We all get the same amount of time. We all get the same 24 hours in a day. But time is also very subjective. It's a matter of perspective, right? Consider this. Uh One hour in traffic versus one hour binging your favorite Netflix series. One hour with a person you really don't get along with. One hour with your best friend. Uh, One hour eating amazing food on vacation. One hour writing a test you didn't really prepare for. So same time, very different feeling. So when we use the word slow, slow is subjective, relative to what? Relative to what, right? And so we've got to acknowledge firstly right there, it's a very subjective kind of question. feels slow to me, but is it actually slow? Certainly when we talk from God's perspective. And this is where our world and the speed of change and the rate of um, acceleration our world is a little bit unhelpful when it comes to matters of faith. Helpful in very other great ways, technology advancements that we've seen have made our lives a lot easier. But study after study show that while technology has made things easier and convenient for us, it has also made us increasingly impatient and very much reliant on instant gratification. We want it. We want it now no matter what it is. And I wonder how much of that we project onto our relationship with God. A lot. We take that expectation and we put it onto God. And so when you have an expectation that's here and your reality is here, what is that gap? Frustration. Disappointment. Maybe disillusionment, maybe even despair. But the question we need to ask is, is our expectation realistic? Certainly when we come to our matters of relationship with God. And so, so often in our faith and our prayers, we expect God's answers to fit within our human time frame. And yet over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible shows us that God's timing is not like 
our timing. I mean, there's a very encouraging verse in Second Peter 3 that says, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. That is not helpful at all. <laughs> and so... The challenge when we come to God is that, one, God is imminent. In other words, imminent means he's with us. He is closer than you can realize in your life. He is not distant, aloof, got better things to do with time. He is imminent. He is present within our world. At the same time, he's also transcendent, above and beyond, not constrained by the things that constrain us, certainly not constrained by a construct called time. And so when we come to God, we're engaging an eternal God who's simultaneously within time and without outside of our time frame. And so if this is kind of messing you up, hold on, okay? <laughs> hold on. We're engaging with an eternal God who also sees way beyond what we can see, who knows way beyond what we can know in any given circumstance and situation. And the great news is this God is only good and only loving towards us. If he was a little bit not so good, that would be, that would be disastrous. But he is only good. And so sometimes when it feels like his delay in our life, we've got to learn to trust his character in that. But we could still acknowledge that the waiting hurts. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes us heart sick, makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. If you've ever had something fulfilled, if you've been waiting on something and it's been fulfilled, that can you can feed off that for a long time. It's like a tree that produces life. But like many of us, if you experienced a hope, a desire, a prayer, and it's been deferred, you're waiting on it, waiting on it, it can lead to our hearts becoming sick. Maybe it's that spouse, the family, the job, the breakthrough, the healing, whatever it might be. And so the anxiety and the pain and the frustration of waiting drives us in two different ways, can drive us in two different ways, tempts us in two different ways. The first way is we can overfunction. function. Do you want to limit the anxiety? We want to overfunction. We want to take control because in waiting, you're not in control. And so we want to control. And so what we want to do is we want to help God along. We just want to help God out. And you're in good company here. Men and women of faith in the Bible also try to help God out. You know, think of Abraham comes to mind very quickly. Many times people are sick and tired of waiting. And so they were like, maybe God just needs some help. <laughs> maybe we just need encouragement along. And so what we do is we start dating people that we really didn't really want to start dating. But we want to start because we want to get along to the marriage. Right? And so we lower our standards. But, wow, well, he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of a Christian. It's like, I think I've heard him pray. It's like, yeah. It's like, ah, oh, missionary date. That's my calling. I'm a missionary dater now. And so we do that. Or we, um, we want to advance in our career and we see everyone else doing these kind of shady things to advance in their career. And we think, well, maybe if I could just start doing a little bit, I'm not going to be really bad. I'm not going to steal or do anything like that. But we start to compromise. And so when we try to help God out, when we try to overfunction, when we try to control the situation, the timeline, it can lead us to compromise and it can lead us down a path that is very dark and very dangerous. The second way we can do is the opposite, is we can check out. We can just want to get relief from the wedding and we can just check out. We disengage with God. We disengage with church. We disengage with our faith. We just check out and just feel like that brings some relief of not being in this season of waiting. 
both of those are not great ways to respond, um, understandable ways to want to respond, but not helpful ways to respond. And so what we want to do is we want to look at what does it look like to embrace the timing of God. We want to be embracing the timing of God. And so I want to look quickly at Jesus a little bit in John's gospel. John, John's, uh, so there's four gospels, but John's gospel is a very unique gospel to the other three ones. And John seems to be very fascinated with time. I think in his gospel alone, time, the word time is used over like 35 times. Like he's fascinated by time. And so in John chapter 7, just one instance, verse 6 and then verse 8, it says, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast. My time has not yet come. So the context there is they were on their way to a feast in Jerusalem as part of their old Jewish his disciples. They were Jewish. And so let's go to the feast. And Jesus said something very interesting. My time has not yet come. Oh, that's interesting. Your time is always where you can always go to Jerusalem. And so what Jesus knows is when he enters Jerusalem, that kicks in the timeline for him to his march to the cross. And he says, it's not ready yet. I'm not ready to go. I know what's going to happen. I know what awaits me in Jerusalem, but it's not, my time has not yet come. And what's interesting is in the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greeks had two words uh, for time. They had chronos and kairos. Chronos, you'd understand very quickly, we get the word chronology from it, and it's the quantitative measure of time. What time is it? It is 11.19 a.m. on Sunday, March the 3rd, 2024. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, that's chronos time. Okay, That's what we usually refer to when we talk about time. Their other word is very interesting, and it's a whole different paradigm of looking at time differently, not from a chronological point of view, but kairos means what's the right or opportune time for something. And so we have some pregnant women in our church, and if you would ask them what is the time, they might say, still waiting, not yet. It's not right time for them to give birth. Uh, sometimes when they're in labor, they're like, it's time. And the doctor says, it's not time, not yet. What is the right or opportune moment for that event to happen? And so in the New Testament, oftentimes Kairos is all about the timing of God's appointed purposes, the appointed time for his purposes. And then we can see this in the life of Jesus. We can see it when he's using things like my time has not yet come or later on he'll talk about my hour has not yet come. Same thing. He's talking about the opportune and the right time for the purposes of God to be fulfilled, not just in him, but through him for the benefit of you and me and the world. And so Jesus, John is using this oftentimes uh, to refer to Jesus' death and explaining why things happened the way they did and the time they did. So later Jesus actually then goes on to Jerusalem. Later we catch up with him in John chapter 12. This is about a week before his death. And he says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, this Kairos moment. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he seemed to be very conscious of Kairos. Very conscious of what time it was in terms of the plans and the purposes 
of God. So much so that he switches from saying, my time's not yet, my hour's not come, my hour's not come. It's like, it's here. This is it. And even though he's deeply troubled by what lies ahead, I mean, that's an understatement. That word troubled is like deep distress, like absolute deep turmoil and distress. Like he knows what his purpose is leading him to. He knows not just the physical and emotional pain and suffering he's going to go through leading up to the cross, but he knows that taking on the sin of the world is going to cut him off from relationship with God. He's never experienced that in his life. That level of alienation alienation and separation is just not in his frame of reference. And so he sees this is what happened, and he's deeply deeply troubled, but yet he still recognizes the Kairos moment that God's brought him to. And it's a great model of trusting God, even when it feels really not nice. Even when, like even in Jesus, in the other gospels, he's praying, God, is there another way? There must be another way. And maybe he's tempted to take control. Maybe he's tempted to help God out, right? Can you see the humanity of Jesus? He's not sinning in doing that. Obviously, we know he's sinless, but he's human. And he's showing us what true humanity is like. He's wrestling with God. God, there's God. Is there another way? But all in all of it, he's still. I'm submitted to your ways best. I mean, we sang it this morning. That's a great song. Where, like, do you remember what you said and sang this morning? Do you remember on Wednesday afternoon when your boss says something or does something, or when life's not working out? Better your ways, better God. And so, faith in God also means faithfulness in God's processes. We talk about faith and trust in God, but it looks like trusting God in the timing, the process of our lives. And that's hard. That's really where faith gets tested for us. Is God really good? Is God really working on my behalf? So let's end off here and ask the question, okay, what do we do? What can we do when God seems slow? In my life and maybe a person's life, what do we do when God seems slow? Well, the first thing is we can acknowledge the heartache in waiting. We can just start there. We talked about uh, last week the way of lament, you know, um, a big chunk of the Psalms of laments. It's just emotional honesty, venting to God, if you will, like just the state of my life, state of the world, and like, God, this sucks, really, is <laughs> lament. We can acknowledge the heartache in waiting. God, I, I thought I would have been married by now. God, it's hard. I'm gripped with envy when I see people advancing further in life that don't even serve you. And here I am. I serve you. I give money to the church. Ever had one of those prayers? <laughs> Look what I'm doing. Oh, I can, okay. I can hear that. Okay. Okay. Now we're talking real now. Okay, great. We've had those prayers. We've all had those prayers. Acknowledge the heartache. God, is it really worth it? Is your way really true and better? Sure doesn't feel like it. Elizabeth Elliot. Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to carry within oneself the unanswered question, lifting the heart to God above it whenever it intrudes upon one's thoughts. And so just acknowledging it can be very cathartic. It doesn't solve it necessarily, but bleeding it out to God, voicing it to God, allows him to come and, and, and minister to you in those moments. Um, secondly, not only just acknowledging the waiting is, is, is this heartache in the waiting, but don't, we, don't waste the waiting. There's purpose in the waiting. In fact, the waiting sometimes is the bigger deal to God than the actual result of what we're waiting for. 
faster isn't always better. God's timing is better. God is always working. What is he working on? Well, one, he's working on it, whatever it is. Maybe he's working on it. Maybe he is. He's working on that spouse or working on that opportunity that you're praying for. Maybe it's materializing in a different way. Maybe he has something better in mind than you originally had. Maybe, right? So he could be working on it. Most times he's working on you, me. That's what he likes about the waiting. So in that Second Peter 3 verse, it actually talks about him not so much being slow as he's being patient. That God's not slow as some consider slow, but he's patient. And that particular verse is saying he's patient because he wants many people to come to repentance. That he's giving people time and space to realize they're building their lives and trying to save their lives is futile. And here he is, God, offering a better way. Uh, Dallas Willard, his, one of his famous quotes, he says, Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so our lives are hurried, but I think we also want to hurry God along in the process of what he's trying to do sometimes in the waiting. And again, you're speaking to a very impatient person. It's hard, but sometimes God, not sometimes, often, most times, God does his best work of formation in us in seasons of waiting, in seasons of where we just have to trust and lean in to God. Uh, Rich Velotis, in his book, The Deeply, Tran- uh, Deeply Formed Life, is a very sobering quote. He says, we can be deeply committed to being Christian without ever being deeply formed by Christ. And what he's saying there in the context of his book is, We can do the Christian things. We can have a busy life of Christian stuff. That's good stuff. Show up at church. You know, some of you have come from churches where you had three, four services on a Sunday, right? Show up to all those services. Go to the prayer meeting. Go to the Bible study. Go to the small group, connect group. Do whatever it is. Do all the stuff. It's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But we can get caught up in doing the stuff, but never deeply really be formed by Christ. And we get deeply formed by Christ when we come to moments in our life where all that stuff doesn't work and help us. Where we've built our lives on, on a systems rather than a person. And God uses it. I'm not, so don't get me wrong. Doing, doing the things of Christianity are important, but the motivation is more important. The, the why we're doing it is, is, is equally, if not more important. Otherwise, we're in danger of being the Pharisees. Like when you read the Gospels, you never identify as the Pharisees, right? But we are, if you've been walking with Jesus, if you're a Christian for any length of time, you're probably more like the Pharisees than you realize in, in the Gospels. Because they were doing the stuff well. They were doing the things that they thought, they, 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 their heart thought that this is what God required and wanted. And Jesus had some strong things to say to them. You're doing all the stuff, but yet you're dead on the inside. It can mean you're deeply committed to being a Pharisee, but you won't let the true Pharisee, you won't let the true shepherd, you won't let the true rabbi form you. And so we want to make sure. So don't waste the waiting. God's doing something in your life. Maybe you're not fully aware of it, but he is doing something in our lives in the waiting, which brings us to the third one is stay Kairos conscious while waiting. Don't be so consumed with the chronos of your waiting, okay? I'm turning 30, God. I'm turning 40, God. I'm turning 50. The clock is kicking down. But there is another clock. It's the Kairos clock. What's the right 
opportune time for what God's doing in life. And we could ask the question, what time is it in my life right now? God, what are you up to? What are you wanting to do? If I put aside the thing, the it that I'm trying to materialize in my life, it's still important, absolutely, but God, what is it? What, what, what is it that you're doing in my life right now? And how do I join you and partner with you in that? It's a question we could ask of ourselves as a church. What is the Kairos moment that God has for us as a church? We could ask that as we look at the world. What is the Kairos moment right now for the church in the world? And honestly, I got to say, the darker and the bleaker and the more chaotic things get, it's like, is the time for the church to shine? History's told us that. And I tell you, the church is built for this moment. It's like, was it Charles Dickens? It's the worst of times. It's the best of times. That's the Kairos moment for the church right now. It's challenging, but the opportunity is huge if we'll lean into it. If we'll lean into it and allow God to use the challenge to shape and form us to be the people that can grab a hold of the opportunity. And that's on a global scale, on a church scale, and on an individual scale. Is he forming you to be the person that can then grab a hold of the opportunities that he does want to bring along to you? And so I want to end off. We're going to go to a communion moment. But I want to say, if you've uh, signed up to be a follower of Jesus, that's a great choice that you've made. And I just want to remind you that being a disciple of Jesus means that you and I, we've signed up for a lifetime of waiting. Waiting on the Lord to return. Waiting on his kingdom to come. And waiting for him to bring breakthroughs and answers to prayers that we have. And so we can acknowledge that. That's hard sometimes. But we can also lean into what he's wanting to do during the waiting and be aware of the opportunities that he wants to bring about. And so let me lead us into a prayer, and then we're going to go into a communion moment that will tie into what we're talking about here today. So, Father, we are a people that are increasingly impatient. And through our impatience, Lord, we are increasingly addicted to instant gratification. And we know that that deforms us, and you want to transform us. And so I pray, God, that you'd help each one of us to enter into your time, God, that we're so conscious of chronos time, so conscious of deadlines, so conscious of the things that need to be done, and, the, and so mindful of the milestones that should be done as we see them uh, right in this life. And yet, God, you operate differently. And we want to be more conscious of those kind of timings. God, the right and opportune time for things from your perspective. Uh, help those, God, right now who are struggling in the waiting. Help those right now, God, who it's very painful in the waiting. Lord, help them to give expression to that, but also to give expression to their trust and faith in you despite that. And so, Father, as we come to this communion moment, let it remind us, God, that your timing is perfect, that even when we thought this was the worst thing that could ever have happened to Jesus, even his disciples, how on earth? Did this happen to Jesus? And yet we look back in history and we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And let that be a, a magnificent reminder, God, that your timing is perfect. It's good. And so would we embrace the timing of you in our lives in new ways today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information visit our website at everynationgta.org.